All right. Yeah, the, the, the pigeons are the bane of our life. And the gardens. And the slugs. I'm out there at night, squishing the slugs, protecting my hostas. It's that time of year. Slug patrol. Anyway, if you'd like to turn to the letter to Titus. Bible should have been handed out during the break. Page 1198. We're going to be reading from verse 5 of chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 1. The uh, theme this morning is uh, godliness, godly character. Apostle Paul writing to his friend Titus on Crete. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might, be, might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. It's a strong passage. Well, this uh, feels like quite a vulnerable time to be a pastor. They've been, as they always are, but it seems particularly recently to be a, a whole number of, of uh, pastoral failures, people having to step out of ministry because of mistakes they've made in life. And some of those are high profile and well known just in the past couple of weeks. has been a well known figure here in the UK, so I have to step out of ministry while things are investigated. And there are others who are less well known but uh, closer to home people that I know personally who've had to step out of ministry for various reasons. And normally the reason that happens is because of three things which happen. It's, it's the three classic issues that we all face of the temptations of money, sex, and power. And one of those things trips people up. And the particular issue at the moment, which is a little bit different, but the reason why so many seem to be stepping out of ministry at the moment is, is around the issue of, of uh, what is best defined as bullying, of pastoral bullying, of spiritual abuse. And uh, Paul writes to Titus here in verse 16, says, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. And when actions don't correspond to claimed beliefs, there is a problem. And we're very attuned to this. We're very attuned to this at the moment in terms of the political world. So just this, in the last couple of days, Dominic Raab has had to resign from government because of allegations that he was bullying and how he treated staff. And 
we are watching the unraveling of the SNP with all their, all the financial allegations against them, which, as an Englishman who wants to keep the union together, I'm quite enjoying, to be honest, but I should, probably shouldn't say that in public, but there you go. And of course, through the, through the pandemic, we, uh, we, were, we were very used to that, we, with the Boris having parties when we were all told we couldn't see people, and Neil Ferguson, who was driving the drive for lockdown, driving across lock, uh, London to visit his mistress, and Dominic Cumming, Cummings, who was shaping so much of the policy, driving up to the north of England to see that. And we got you, the, the hypocrisy, the actions. Actions speak louder than words, don't they? And we're very attuned to those displays of hypocrisy of double standards. Actions speak louder than words. And the problem is that in the church, if pastors of elders, if their actions don't match up to what they claim to believe, that causes what Paul describes here as disruption. Disruption to whole households, disruption in the church. It compromises the witness of the church. And so throughout, throughout Scripture, we see an emphasis upon godly character, that godly character counts for more than, more than giftedness, counts for more than charisma, counts for more than wealth or intelligence or anything else. What really counts amongst God's people, especially those who are called to lead amongst God's people, is godly character. And this needs to be one of our family values. We're doing this four-week series working through the letter to Titus called Family Values. Last week, we were talking about the family value of having a big vision of uh, who we are as God's people, what God is doing, who God himself is. And this week, we're thinking about what it means to be people of godly character. This needs to be one of our values. One of, one of our three mission-defining words is purity, adventure, purity, compassion. Our three mission-defining words as a church. Purity, a mission-defining word, that there needs to be a genuine purity, a genuine godliness about us as God's people. It needs to be a family value for us. And that begins with the elders here at Alder Road. That's Paul, John, and myself. And then uh, down at 502, Richard, Gordon, and Nathaniel, the six of us who are called to serve as elders of Gateway Church. And uh, uh, Titus has been sent to Crete by Paul to appoint elders. And Paul says you're to appoint elders in every town. And at this time in uh, Cretan history, there are uh, around 20 identifi identifiable towns in Crete. And so we get this sense that the mission of God is advancing church. People are coming to faith. Churches are being started. Churches which are, be are being established, which are meant to be little colonies of heaven in Crete. They're in Crete, but they're not to be like Crete. They're to be Christ-like now. They're to display different family values from the values of Crete and Part of Titus's task in Crete is to appoint elders in each of those churches in each of those towns. And these need to be men who reflect godly character. And the interesting thing about the list we get here, and the corresponding one we get in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul is giving similar instructions to his friend Timothy, who's doing the, a similar kind of work to Titus, but, but in Ephesus rather than Crete, is that the, the bar for eldership actually seems pretty low. So Paul says to Titus here that elders need to be blameless. In, in 1 Timothy 3, he says elders need to be above reproach, and then describes what that means. And it's pretty simple. It's basically people who are going to be elders need to have a decent marriage, they shouldn't get into drunken punch-ups, and they need to have clear theological convictions. And, and that's about it. And 
Here's the thing. Actually, we would expect that, want that for every member of the church. It's not a high bar. You don't need, this isn't a job description for spiritual superheroes that the Apostle Paul gives to Titus here and, and to his friend Timothy in Ephesus. And as an elder, that's both um, a relief and also a sober reminder. It's, it's a relief because what is described here is an attainable job description. These are things which should not be too difficult to live up to. What Paul describes here is the character qualifications for eldership. But it's also a sober reminder because it's really easy to screw up really basic things. And certainly I've seen that too many times. There can be just that out-of-character moment of madness when someone does something which is completely out of character, but for whatever reason, something happens, and that just that moment of weakness, that moment of madness, maybe a crisis moment in life, maybe some kind of cry for help, really, and a, and a pastor and elder just does something stupid which results in their ministry being brought to an end. Sometimes tragic that happens. More often, though, it's the slow unraveling of bad choices and of bad habits, those things which at the start of somebody's ministry might be a bit, but not too much of a problem, but over the course of years and decades become more and more of a problem until finally the whole thing explodes and that person is taken out. Now, it's only four weeks until uh, Grace and I go on sabbatical. Very grateful to the elders and trustees here granting us a period of sabbatical uh, leave. And uh, while I'm away on sabbatical, part of what I will be wanting to do is some self-reflection, thinking about these kind of things which Paul lays out and asking the questions about how have I done as a pastor? How am I doing now? What do I need to do in the future? Because these things are very relevant for us. And Gateway Church needs, deserves an elder team who are godly. As the saying goes, that the fish rots from the head down. If uh, myself or John or Paul go rotten, then that will rot the whole body. And so pray for us. Pray for, pray for grace to me when we're off. We'll be off for three months, end of May through to the end of August. Pray for us that uh, God will work in us and help us as we seek to be godly in character. So we want to be a church where the elders display godly character, but also we'd want this to be a church where many, pretty much everyone actually, is qualified in a sense for eldership. Because you're living up to the things which Paul describes here as being the character qualifications for eldership. Most people won't be elders. Only three of us in this church at the moment in this congregation are recognized as elders, six of us in Gateway as a whole. But we'd want everybody who's part of this church to aspire to this kind of godly character. The godly character of elders there, what we see is the combination that Paul is after for the people that Titus appoints, a combination of gentleness and and resolution. One of the qualifications, the way you sum up what is described here, qualification for eldership, is that there should be, some, there should be a gentleness about eldership. There's, elders are meant to be father-like, and fathers should not be harsh, fathers should be gentle. And actually, that's a Christ-like characteristic. If you're doing the bread Bible readings with us at the moment, this past week, you should have been reading Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. The way Jesus describes himself is one who is gentle and humble, gentle and lowly. That's who Jesus is and brings people into rest. And elders of godly character are meant to help bring God's people into an experience of rest. So one of the hopes for, I have for us as an eldership team is that to some measure, by God's grace, we would bring you into an experience of God's rest, that we help you to know, taste, and see that the Lord is good. You help, to, help you to experience the lightness of Christ's yoke, we help you to see Jesus, who is humble and gentle. That should be our ambition as elders. And some of the recent uh, leadership fails I've seen in the church have come from those pastors who, rather than leading the sheep to Jesus, have been trying to drive the sheep. And that can actually come from good motives. It can come from a, a desire to take ground. It can come from a sense of urgency about the mission that we're being called to. It can happen because often those in church leadership are people who've got significant ability and lots of energy. And those things are all good, but those things can become corrupted if they're not accompanied by appropriate gentleness. And there have been too many examples recently of gifted and called and mission-minded pastors who haven't been gentle as they should, and rather than leading the sheep, have driven the sheep, and as a consequence, in the end, their ministries have unraveled and fallen apart. But gentleness isn't to be confused with being soft or pandering to people, because elders can't be pushovers. And the instructions here are very clear that those who are bringing deception and disruption must be rebuked and silenced. The language Paul uses to instruct Titus is very strong. And again, that's a, that's a father-like qualification. There are, there are opposing messages being taught. There is false teaching which is happening in Crete. There's false teaching which is happening in our world. And Titus and the elders that he appoints are to teach what is true, and to silence the teaching of what is false. What fathers, one of the roles of a father is to shut down the lies. Lies happen. If you are a biological father, if you've got kids in your home, your kids will be listening to all kinds of lies, hearing all kinds of lies. Part of your responsibility as a father is to shut the lies down, to speak truth, and that's what Pastors, elders in the church are to do as well. And so these, these things define the expectations you should have of the elders here at Gateway. That you should have an expectation that we will be both appropriately gentle, but also appropriately resolute. That we're seeking to lead, not to drive, but we will confront and silence what needs to be confronted and silenced. That's what godly pastors are called to do. And so we see in this that a lack of godly character must be challenged. Paul here strongly, really strongly, affirms the authority Titus is to exercise. He says you're to silence, you're to rebuke them sharply, those who are bringing false teaching. Titus is to do this, and the, and the elders he appoints are to do it as well. And so we see that elders are both to encourage, it says in verse 9, an elder is to encourage by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose sound doctrine. Elders are to encourage and to 
refute. Elders are to encourage the church in what is true and where lies are being told, elders are to demonstrate why those are lies and to speak truth. And in the cultural context of Crete, there was a lot to challenge. Paul mentions the, the circumcision group. There is this, seems to have been this sort of religious uh, Judaism trying to be imposed upon Christians, limiting their, their Christian freedoms. And Paul says, you need to speak against that, stop it, silence them. And there was also just the, the, the culture of Crete, which was summed up by a Cretan philosopher, Epimenides, who says that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. The Cretans were not, a, uh, were not recognized as being a nice people. They were notorious. Actually, the very name uh, of Crete was meant liar. This, this was a whole nation that was re- thought of by other peoples as being particularly brutish, untrue. And uh, in our culture, there's also an awful lot that needs to be challenged. In our culture, there's an awful lot that is brutish. In our culture, there's an awful lot of lies. And part of our responsibility as elders is to challenge and refute those things. It needs to be challenged. It needs to be refuted. It needs to be rebuked. It needs to be silenced. Because... Because we don't, we don't want to be a people who ourselves become hypocritical, that we say we believe one thing, but our actions say something else. We don't want to become corrupted. We want, to be a, we want this to be a church which is characterized by godly character. We want to be a church where there is genuine impurity. We don't want to be useless. We don't want to get to the point. This is a terrible condemnation that Paul says in verse 16. They, they're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And sadly, that can be said of some churches. And we don't want it to be able to be said about us. We don't want that kind of description to be true of us. We want to be useful servants of Jesus. And so we've got to cultivate and grow godly character. So all of us, not just the three of us who are elders here at Alder Roads, all of us actually need to grow in godly character. It's a family value we need to develop. We need to be a pure people. And, and what that looks like is going to vary according to your age and stage of life. If you're 18, it will look different from if you're 80. They're, we're in different stages of life, have different circumstances. But the, the, the character list which is given for what elders should be like is actually helpful for, for all of us in thinking what godly character looks like. To see that having godly character means things like this. It means that We don't want anybody who's part of this church to be overbearing or quick-tempered or violent. It's unlikely that anybody here, nobody in this church I know, is going out and picking fights in bars. It's not that kind of violence that we're likely to fall into. But these characteristics of being overbearing and quick-tempered and violent, they are very evident in our society at the moment. They're very evident in social media where people say horrendous things which you wouldn't say to somebody face-to-face, but somehow online people say things which are just horrendous. Or it's even just the way that we think about and talk about other people in, in the privacy of our own minds at times. And godly character means, rather than being overbearing or quick-tempered or violent, whether it's in actual words or just in our thoughts, it means that we deliberately train ourselves to think and speak well of one another, especially in the church, that we're we deliberately, intentionally, consciously think, how can we honor other people? How can we build other people up? How can we encourage? How can we speak well of each other rather than ill of each other? It's a characteristic of godliness. 
Having godly character means that we're not given to drunkenness. Now, it is easy to drink more than we should. And drunkenness itself is something that as Christians we're not to indulge in. But I think it's a, there's a broader application than just getting drunk. The application is about self-indulgence or actually self-medication generally. That we can find ourselves relying on things. We can go to things for comfort or relief. But actually we need to look to God as our refuge. And being of godly character means that we drink of God. You know, the famous, the famous uh, verse, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what we seek to do. We seek to fill ourselves with God. Being of godly character means that we don't look for our refuge, our comfort in other things, whether it's actual drink or something else, but we look to God as the one who is able to rescue us. That psalm we started with this morning, our, he is our salvation, he is our rescuer, he's the one that we ask to come and deliver us, that we we find our comfort, our help, our strength in him. And sometimes that does mean making some lifestyle uh, adjustments. Uh, where's Sarah? I can't see you. There you are. Are you happy to come in? I just asked Sarah to share her story because I thought this was a really helpful illustration of some changes that Sarah made in her life which have helped her. You're right. Yeah. Don't be nervous. It's all right. <laughs> Yeah, so on um, New Year's Day last year, I decided to stop drinking because I, although I wasn't an alcoholic, I drank too much too often and it wasn't helpful for me. And as a mum, it wasn't helpful because I was like, kids, get to bed. I need my glass of wine because you're driving me up the wall. But I, d I made that decision and I thought, I'll just stop for a month, see how it goes. And I'm nearly 500 days now. And all I can say is my life has got better and better and better. But it is through God that I've been able to do that as well because... It's not been difficult, and everybody else I know that has done this has found it really hard, but I've prayed, I've, I've asked God to help me. When it's been difficult, it, it, it's, it's not, it's fine. And actually, my life's just so much nicer. My relationships are better, my relationship with my children's better, I'm not as angry, so, yeah, violence. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not violent with my kids, but sometimes <laughs> I want to be. But yeah. <clears throat> I'm not as angry anymore. My relationship with my family's better, friends, uh, and everything's just easier, and, and life's got so much better, yeah. So, Brilliant. not drinking. Thank you, Sarah. So, having godly character doesn't mean that we're all going to become teetotal. I really, enjoy, I really enjoy a glass of wine. But if we find that there's stuff, habits in our lives which are not healthy for us, which are causing us to act in ways which are not godly, then by God's power we can change. We need to develop godly character. Another way that we're to display godly character is by not pursuing dishonest gain. That means we need to be people of financial integrity. We need to don't cheat and lie and steal. But more than that, I think, again, it's about not finding our hope in material comforts, not becoming selfish, not holding on to stuff. It's about being people who have integrity in how we handle our finances, but also incredible generosity. One of the beautiful characteristics of this church is that we are generous people. Think about the hundreds of thousands of pounds we have given over the last few years, and how much we give away to other people and other causes. And that's beautiful. We're to, we're to be a generous people. We're not to pursue dishonest gain. We're to trust God for his provision to us, and we're to keep our hands open, give generously, trust him. And we're to be hospitable. It's a godly characteristic that our 
hearts and our homes are to be open to one another, that intentional investing in relationship with one another. And that, and that can be costly. Uh, doing that, it can be very disruptive to our own comforts to invest in relationships with others. But we serve a God who has welcomed us. We serve, serve a Heavenly Father who's thrown open His arms and welcomed us into a relationship with Him. And so we have to open our arms and our hearts to one another and be hospitable, welcoming to each other. And a characteristic of godliness is that we love what is good. Love what is good. I think um, where we can think about this is in terms of thinking about what entertains us and actually where we go for our entertainment. Because it's easy to love what is not good. It's easy to love what is corrupt. And we need to think about how we actively pursue what is good, what is lovely, what is beautiful, what is truthful. In Philippians 4, it says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the trouble is with so many of the places that we go for our entertainment, and again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever watch Netflix or the movie, I'm not saying that at all, but just think about where, how we're tr- what we're doing to develop godly character. How, how much of our time are we intentionally, deliberately giving to thinking about things which are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? And how much of our time do we give to thinking about or being entertained by things which are not admirable, which are not true, which are ugly rather than beautiful, which are not right but are false? We just fall into it because it's the pattern of the world, but as people seeking to develop godly character, we need to think and act and live Differently, It can be very simple things. When was the last time you just really gave yourself to immersing yourself in, in something beautiful, something truly lovely? And one of the joys of this time of year is as the leaves start to pop on the trees. Just go and stand in the park, look up at the leaves on the tree coming out, and think about something which is lovely. Try and count the leaves. You won't be able to. Think about God's promises that his people will outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. You can't even count the leaves in a tree. Think about what is lovely, what is true, what is beautiful, what is admirable. Develop godly character. And developing godly character means being self-controlled and upright and disciplined. This is about having an ordered and a consistent life that there's an order, a discipline to our our habits, to to our emotions, to our spiritual practices. And that often takes a kind of training. The, the language that Paul uses here is the language of training. An elder's got to be self-controlled and upright and disciplined. That takes training. And this isn't just for the elders. It's for all of us. All of us who are Jesus' disciples has a call on us to be self-controlled, to be upright, to be disciplined. We need to train ourselves. And there's all kinds of things we can do to help train ourselves in this way. Just... Uh, Little things in life, we can set ourselves little challenges which train our bodies and our minds and which can help train us and prepare us spiritually as well. One thing I've, I've done over the last few months is um, when it got to last October, which is when I normally stop swimming in the sea, I thought, hey, there's so many people swimming in the sea, I'm going to see if I can keep it going this winter. And so uh, most Sunday afternoons over, well, since October, I've gone down to the beach and swum. And uh, at times it's felt 
pretty challenging. There were a few Sundays where there was frost and slush on the sand and walking through that to go into the sea, it felt pretty challenging. But uh, it's been quite fun as well. And it's just a, it's been another way for me to kind of train myself, just a bit of discipline. Now, that might not be your thing at all. You don't have to go and swim in the freezing cold sea. It's not how you get right with Jesus. <laughs> but it was just a little challenge. I set, my, I set myself to try and be disciplined. And it might be something you might think, well, I'm going to learn a scripture. Each month, I'm going to learn a verse of scripture. Or just something where you learn some discipline, get some uprightness, display some self-control. I mean, Sarah's story, again, is beautiful. Just some self-control of 500 days of not doing the thing which she'd probably become a little bit dependent upon. Self-control, upright, disciplined. First Timothy 4.8, it says, physical training is of some value. Going in the sea in February is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. We need to train ourselves in godliness. We need to get our house in order. And this is something which is internal. It can't be imposed upon us. Something which works from the inside. It's who are you on the inside? Hebrews 5, verse 14 says, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. How good are we at distinguishing good from evil? How good are we at identifying what is lovely rather than what is ugly? We need to train ourselves. And we do that as we allow God to work in us, as we allow his Holy Spirit to fill us, as we think about him, as we intentionally turn our minds towards what is true, beautiful, lovely. Think about Jesus. Come to him. Carry his yoke, which is light and easy. And we need to hold firm. Godliness means holding firm. Verse 9. An elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. All of us, let's hold firm to the trustworthy message. Titus, uh, Paul says that the reason he's writing this letter, verse 1, he's writing to Titus to, to, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's why this letter has been written, so that the people in Crete would become more godly. They would know more about Jesus. They'd know the truth, the trustworthy message, and live lives which reflect that. We need to know the truth. That means that we, we need to be a church of theologians. In, the, in this church, I'm the one who particularly carries responsibility for public teaching and ministry. But my heart's desire is that all of us would be theologians, that we'd know the truth, we'd pursue the truth, we'd read and apply, study the scripture, feel it coming alive in our hearts, that we'd have real relationship with God, we'd know genuinely the Spirit of God at work in us, leading us, guiding us, conforming us more and more to the image of Christ, that together we would pursue truth, together we would pursue what is beautiful and lovely and admirable and noble, and that there might be a witness amongst us, a genuineness about us of godly character, that the message we proclaim here would not be compromised because of hypocrisy, that our actions wouldn't be different from our words. I pray it for myself, pray it for you, that we would be a family, this would be a value for us, godly character, being like Christ, the one who is gentle, 
and lowly. Lord Jesus, I do pray for us that we would know the truth. We would live in it and display it. I pray, Jesus, that you keep us. I pray for those of us who are called as elders here at this time, serving in that capacity. I pray that we wouldn't uh, be caught up, tripped up. That, God, in your grace, you'd keep us in the way. You'd keep us in godly character. And, Lord, for us together as as your family here, that we as your people might display what it really is to know Jesus and to live in the light of that truth. That our actions and our words would correspond, they'd match up. Keep us, keep us from double standards. Lord, keep us from hypocrisy. Let us be a people who really honor you with what we say and what we do. In your name we ask it, Jesus. Amen.